thanks for being here for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm your host, Rachel. Today's story is about alleys, specifically how much potential and possibility they hold. While they are typically just used as a place to park your car or stick your trash cans, alleys are also sometimes a space where kids can safely play, where flowers can grow, and perhaps where new homes can be built. That's how Thomas Doherty sees it. He grew up on a farm in Ohio where he developed an early appreciation for, as he says it, getting his hands dirty and being a builder. And later in life, he had the chance to visit the Netherlands where he got a taste of traditional urban neighborhoods and design, a real feeling of home, even though he was far away from his community of origin. Darty recently finished a master's in architecture and the focus of his thesis was how to turn alleyways into productive space, especially for accessory dwelling units or ADUs. He sees tremendous potential in the human scale of alleys, their narrow lanes, their intimate proximity to people's homes, and the innate safety that comes from this type of cozy enclosed space. This week on the Strong Towns website, we've been running a multi-part series by Thomas Doherty outlining the history of alleys and their potential future as places for more life and housing. I'm glad to share this interview with him with you all today. Thomas Doherty, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It is good to have you here. Thanks, Rachel. Good to be here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and um, what you do? Sure. I live and work as an architect uh, in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is 30 minutes, 45 minutes west of Philly on the main line. And uh, I'm a fairly recent graduate, so I'm still in the early stages of the architecture career. And my aspiration is actually to be an incremental develop- developer and a strong towns, you know, bottom up revolution person. So I don't know if I'll actually ever become fully licensed, um, but I studied architecture at Notre Dame and um, or I got my, my, my graduate degrees at Notre Dame in in architecture and uh, architectural design and urbanism. And my final year there, I spent researching alleys and their potential for ADU development, which is, you know, why we're talking now. Yeah. What drew you to architecture and like incremental development, strong towns? How did you end up uh, being interested in this sort of work? Well, I actually grew up on a small farm in Ohio. We could see the Ohio River from the farm. We could see across it to West Virginia. So I was always, my hands were always dirty and I was always in construction. And I wasn't in suburbia and I wasn't in an urban setting, but I was kind of aware, you know, of both and some of the some of the drawbacks that we had, you know, in post-war America that we were dealing with. And as an undergraduate, I traveled uh, abroad with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And we were in the Netherlands, where I am now (laughs) recording this with you. And it was there that I first experienced traditional towns, traditional cities built at this human scale, this walkable scale. And I was committed to 
you know, or at least I was dreaming of recreating aspects of that in the United States. So when I got back, I started, um, after graduating, uh, I started working as a timber framer, which is like a large beam mortise and tenon traditional construction. And I ended up working on, you know, second, third homes, very expensive pool houses, things like that, that weren't part of the civic realm. So I was building things that were in some sense, you know, similar to what I had seen in the Netherlands and Austria and Germany, but not in any of the ways that uh, build traditional cities or towns or public spaces. And it was at that same time that I was becoming a w- more aware of people like Andreas and, and Suburban Nation, you know, his book Suburban Nation or uh, Kunstler and um, Geography of Nowhere uh, and, and others. And I think that's what made me aware of this need for, you know, studying traditional towns and cities in the public realm. And um, Notre Dame was really the only place that I knew of, and I think probably still the best place to study that. So I decided to um, study architecture there, but it was always in the vein of, you know, getting back to building that traditional town and city. And I think that that's going to require people that step outside of the conventional building system, building culture. And that's one of the things I so admire in strong towns is that they are opening up that door and they're putting people together and they're making the arguments for for building the way that people love cities, you know, in unconventional ways. Um, so, so that was my, um, I guess, intro into architecture and and why I think Strong Towns is doing something that's so unique and um, I'm so grateful for. Yeah, I think that's a story that other people would relate to the like seeing how a city can be in whether it's outside of the country or just, you know, an older historic city and being like, whoa, I could I could be living like this or I could be helping create places that look like this where people can walk and get around without a car and all that. Um, I think that is a common experience. um, And I'm I'm glad that you like took that and ran with it. Absolutely. And there's also the sense of being home. I think, you know, what is it to build a home? You know, what is it to, to have a home to, you know, I think for many people, myself included, in some ways, experiencing the traditional cities, the traditional towns and villages here, there's a sense of being at home in a way that we weren't experiencing often, even in our own, you know, homes or the places we grew up in, in the States. Um, I remember Ann Sussman saying the same thing, talking about this experience in in France and Paris of coming home, and I, and I do think there's an aspect uh, to that that uh, often resonates with people and is the reason for you know pursuing this. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So when we run this podcast, we are going to be concurrently publishing a series that you've written of several articles about alleyways and how they could be put to better use. What got you interested in alleys? I think there's something that it's very easy to overlook and not really give a passing thought to. Um, why did you do this project on alleyways in your, in your graduate program and then decide to write this series for us? Yeah, two reasons. 
And the first one is going to be human scale. And so I'm going to answer this. It's going to be kind of a longer answer. Uh, but in the United States, because of the time when we were developing our towns and cities, our streets, we were able to, you know, greenfield develop, right? So we have these grids and they're very efficient and the streets are wide. And there were many reasons for doing that. It was enlightenment era city planning. It was city plans that were after the Great Fire of London. And so the intent was clean, safe, you know, air, so to mitigate disease. And there are lots of good things about that. But one of the things that we lost in the new world that I think we had in the old was a human scaled city fabric. And it's not to say that they don't need to be in conflict with one another. You know, you can go to cities in which there are the big, wide, straight streets, which are beautiful and useful, but there's also finer grained streets. And in the United States, we only had the wide, we didn't have the finer grained. One of my professors at Notre Dame, and my thesis professor, probably my, um, you know, the mentor, one of, one of my key mentors there was Douglas Duwani. And Douglas was always asking us to explore the inner block, what goes on inside of a block. And so that, you know, you have to have some kind of comprehension of, okay, so what's a block? And in the United States, it's actually kind of simple for traditional towns and cities in that it's, you know, there are four streets that surround an urban block and there you go. And for most of those or many of those traditional urban blocks, the alley runs through the center. And one of the things that can happen inside of a block, it's kind of a world of its own. And that's true for alleys in our urban towns and you know our, our urban settings today that you can walk down an alley and you've really, you've left the main public world of, of, of the city. It's also true in the traditional towns uh, and cities in that the inner block is teeming, often teeming with life, with courtyards, with 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 Hoffia houses or God's houses in where I am right now in the Netherlands and in Belgium, which were designed for for elderly uh, or or for people in need, with all kinds of let's say you know shopping passages, for residential streets which were no, usually you know lined with the smaller houses, so they were like working class houses, but the inner block had all kinds of different things that were going on, and yet it was kind of its own world. And it was a place where the, this human scale kind of really crystallized. And, and so in some sense, you know, you, you, can, you can create a human scale, even if your city is composed of very wide gridded streets. So you asked why I was interested in alleys. And um, I'm interested in alleys in part because it's one of the few places or maybe the only place in American traditional American urban settings that you can find or create a human, a human scale, which I've been calling it this kind of forgotten human scale that in the United States, we have so few examples of that, that we almost, we, we have to travel to Europe to, to, to see it. And then by the time we, we, we get back to the United States, we've kind of forgotten that sense of scale. And, and we, we, we try to recreate, you know, this beautiful street let's say from the Netherlands or wherever, and we say, okay, well, how do we, how do we make our, you know, our street look like that street? And you start 
thinking about, okay, well, the shop windows were like this and the curbs are like this and the street shoes are like this. And those are all really important things. But you forget the fact that, well, the street was actually 24 feet from building face to building face or 30 feet or whatever, you know. And so you're trying to recreate that, you know, beautiful street. But you lose track of the fact that the street you're trying to do it to is three times as wide. And so the inner block and specifically the American Alley is probably the, the place that's most primed or the only place where that kind of thing can really develop. And it's it's the uh, traditionally the inner block is the home for those things. It's the appropriate home for this finer grained urban fabric. And then the other reason I was interested in alleys, so one was scale, and the other one was um, you know, the 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 ADU movement. And you have ADU legislation being passed on the West Coast, uh, you know, kind of spearheaded by people like Cole Peterson in in Portland, and in Portland and California, they're actually few alleys, but other places, you know, that ADU movement is slowly moving its way uh, uh, east or quickly, actually. I mean, the whole country is really talking about ADUs now. And for many traditional towns and cities, that's going to mean ADUs being built on alleys. And so then there's a whole lot of value to just the ADU itself. But when you start to consider, well, ADUs being intentionally built along these inner block streets, these, these traditional service alleys, there's the possibility of actually creating, a, you know, informing a pedestrian scaled, human scaled public realm in our towns and cities. And for most of our towns and cities, you know, a human scale that has never been there. You know, we're creating, there's a possibility of creating that human scale for the first time in, in, in our city's histories. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's so much potential. It's I'm thinking back to, as you're talking, like my childhood and just playing in the alley with the other kids was like what we would do, you know, all summer because it's so, it's like, as you said, it's human scaled. There's no cars speeding through, you know, everyone's homes are like right up against it. You can like run into someone's yard and run back, go to the bathroom, whatever. You're taking me back and it's, it's great to think about all the different things that we could do with alleys besides just, you know, like put our garbage cans in them. Are there particular cities in America? You've talked a little bit about places um, elsewhere in the world, but are there cities in America that are starting to do this, that are doing a good job of using alleys to their fullest potential? So the example that you just gave (laughs) of being a child and playing in that alley, that's a beautiful American image. And I could imagine people listening to this podcast saying, hey, we don't want ADUs on alleys or even, you know, forming the alley into a pedestrian scaled space because it's being it's it's serving this beautiful purpose of allowing children to, you know, have community and play. And and so I think that, you know, the inner block, let's say, is traditionally the home to so many of these things, you know, uh, actually in a traditional city, churches, right? They they actually normally sat inside of a block. If you go to like uh, English towns and villages, you'll find often that the church door opens not on the street, but inside the block. And that that block is formed by graveyards and walls. And you have to walk past that inside of it. All that to say that there are many, I think, really wonderful uses of inner block space. Um, and I can imagine some 
being in conflict with others. One of the things about American alleys is that for many towns and cities, they're either vastly underutilized or actively being abandoned, deplatted, done away with. So it's it's an interesting history. The, the American alley has an interesting history and they were being platted for about 120, 150 years. And then they stopped being platted. And the uses that we have for alleys now are not the uses they were initially platted for, built for. And so I think for some municipalities, especially you know those that are looking to allow ADUs, they should be looking at the potential that the alley has, that the inner block has, specifically along the alley, and try to determine what's best for them. But you asked me about cities and 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 you know are there are there good examples of them using that alley space? And I can think of multiple uh, actually beautiful inner block parks uh, where you know in D.C. for example, uh, the block some of the blocks are quite large. And I remember my wife and I, we, we were working there a number of years ago and stumbled across a park that was, I think I pasted out it like, it's a 60 foot wide park by, you know, it was something like over 200 feet long. And it was this lush, beautiful thing just hidden but inside the block. You had to know it was there to get, you know, to, to, to really, it was kind of this hidden secret. Uh, but it was, a, it was a wonderful use of inner block space. Uh, I don't, there are no cities that I know of that are actively pursuing the, the the transformation, let's say, of a service alley into a residential street or a minor street. But then you'd have to kind of differentiate, you know, what is an alley? Because Philadelphia, near me, has many inner block streets that are called alleys that are stunning and they're lined with little row homes. But they were never actual service alleys in the you know in the way that we often use the term alley they were actually developed by incremental developers of the past as affordable housing as tenement housing and so it's it's an interesting you know uh it's important in this article series that that uh we've been working on i've been working on with you in strong towns gets into that history of you know what 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 do we mean when we say alley and what are the different versions of alleys that we find in the United States? And I think it's really important to differentiate them to really understand the potential, you know, because you have to understand that the, for example, the, the Philly alleys were never used as service alleys. They were actually platted and created largely before service alleys were even being used in the United States. And then the service alleys that we have now, they were built for purposes other than what we're even using them for now. And so kind of peace, you know, kind of working through that history, I think kind of opens up our eyes to seeing the alley for what it is, you know, this, this hidden inner block resource that's sitting right in front of us, you know, inside of every urban block in some sense is the potential for, you know, human scaled urban places. So what are some of the ideas you have for encouraging people to start using their alleys more fully and especially um, building more ADUs with that inner block in mind? Do you have like thoughts on policy or more like grassroots steps that can be taken to start encouraging this type of use of alleys? 
I do. And, you know, and that's the, the, the article series that you'll be publishing soon. One of the, I think probably the most valuable piece of it is a series of design principles of the most loved. I'm taking that term from Steve Muzan, you know, you know, how do we, what's the best measure he would say of, of architecture, the built environment, and the response would be, you know, the, the places that most move us, that, that we love the most. And so what are the design principles of the most love, loved, uh, you know, alleys and historic streets of the past that are similar? And so I spent a year um, studying those at Notre Dame. I traveled uh, to, to, to London and Edinburgh and walked all those mews. I was there for two weeks. I was in the Netherlands. I was in Belgium documenting, photographing, watching the way people use these places, trying to find what are those, what are those key, you know, what are those key details that really make this place so lovable? And so I think, I think uh, it's going to be a shared vision that would be necessary probably for ADU development to b- contribute to this shared, you know, to this vision of Minor Street of for, of transforming the, re- the 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 American Service Alley into this extension of the civic realm or the public realm by ADUs facing facing that street. And I think actually, you know, so you said, what are you know, are there key things? One of them is is recognizing the value of other urban, you know. Uh, uh, tools to form space. You know, as human beings, we, there, there are some constants. <laughs> We're all, you know, similar in height and we all perceive the world with a 60 degree cone of vision. And so because of that, uh, you know, we, we experience the world as, we experience, experience the world spatially and the places that most move us are formed urban space. And so, recognizing the need to delineate and form that that street that space is going to be key to creating the beautiful you know the beautiful places that most move us and one of the key tools is going to be using let's say urban walls we're not going to recreate the most loved let's say alleys of philadelphia those are party wall construction it's two to three story townhomes on either side of the street well, maybe some people will, but I don't think that across the country, we're going to start doing that inside of our block anytime soon. But what will happen is that two, maybe three, you know, owners of a block, of lots on a block, will build ADUs. And they can either build those ADUs so that they, you know, turn their backs on the alley or that they face the alley. And I think that if only three and if nothing else is done, it's not it's still not going to be, you know, a space that feels like a front. But if, you know, the, the lots, let's say, that don't have ADUs start to build out, you know, hedges and, and street walls, that alone, you know, so let's say a few ADUs, some street walls, some, some trees along the edge of the alley, you're going to start to form a space that's actually really human, really beautiful, really walkable. And places like uh, Charleston actually give us good examples of this, you know, where there's, let's say, only two or three buildings that are facing this alley. And yet the combination of buildings and street walls and little, you know, outbuilding garden, garden houses and things like that all together compose 
really just wonderful streets to walk down. So, so, so these are precedent examples that I'm, you know, writing about and drawing. And my hope is that uh, municipalities and individuals can can be inspired by these precedent streets, these historic streets, and do you know to to, to work together, both the city, you know, with maybe some kind of alley form based code, and you know their own ADU development, so as to you know create this shared vision of the transformation of alley to minor street. Yeah, this is a fantastic vision. And definitely for people who are listening, we'll have links to all of Thomas's articles so you can read a lot more in depth about all the stuff he's talking about. Um, Those will be in the show notes. So I wanted to ask, you know, you're a newer architect starting out in that part of your career. How are you working to implement your values about people-centered design and building stronger towns and incremental development? Have you had a chance to work on projects that are people-centered that you would consider like Strong Towns projects? One of the things I really admire about Strong Towns is that they value incremental approaches. And I think that the incremental approach is probably the only viable one. Um, I would love to get my hands dirty right away working on these. And I'm, I'm slowly working toward that. I'm actually on my, uh, my boroughs, my towns. It's a historical town. It's called the borough. It's uh, about a mile, mile and a quarter by a mile wide. It has pre-revolutionary war roots. And it's actually a really wonderful example of American, early American urbanism and that it's, you know, self-governed in this very tiny 20,000 uh, population town. So I'm on I'm on the planning commission here, and so I'm pursuing some of these values by trying to encourage uh, the rethinking of you know the potential of alleys. And our town actually has some really great um, alley precedent. You know, uh, there are many examples of 100, 200 year old structures on alleys which are being used as uh, you know as apartments or as even primary homes. I'm also uh, working to promote some of these ideas and in inner block development uh, with other local developers. So I'm working with a couple developers in my area on inner block projects, how to define that space off of the main street, but adjacent to urban centers. And another project that I'm working on, which I think is kind of in the same vein, we're talking about inner block. Uh, and I was able to publish an article with you maybe a year ago on the God's Houses of Bruges. And this is yeah, a model. For, an awesome piece. Yeah, thank you. This is a, a historic model for elderly housing uh, that's throughout cities of, of Western Europe. I wrote about Bruges because Bruges is kind of set. It, it's been preserved in some ways. It's kind of a, it's a, the best preserved medieval city. So you have all these historic inner block courtyards that were designed for elderly to age and even die. And uh, But there are also examples all throughout the Netherlands. They're called Hofje houses. And so I'm working with a developer uh, to try to bring that, that model into the 21st century, which is very exciting uh, right now. 
That's awesome. It's great to hear that you're able to like start getting your hands dirty with this type of work. To close this out here, what advice would you offer for somebody um, who is amped up about this whole alley idea and wants to um, start trying to do something to make their alley uh, a better space, um, a more useful people-centered space? Um, Whether it's, you know, if somebody owns a home that's on an alley or is um, trying to do some development themselves, where could they get started? So in, in, in the final of the four articles that you guys are publishing, I look at four different possible approaches that I've, I've been thinking about and some that I've been working on. And they range from, uh, I know, I know um, there's a group in Atlanta that's, that's trying to make possible the subdivision of lots, right? So if I were to own a lot on you know, a, tr- a traditional urban block that has an alley that I could cut my lot in half or you know cut off the back section and sell it fee simple what that would possibly enable so this is this is probably not quite to the answer the question you asked but you know i'm thinking about how do how do you approach the alley and it's going to take some kind of holistic vision right so one approach would be a developer who buys up the interior of a, a block and develops the whole thing and i can imagine that being really beautiful and maybe that's actually even the first move that uh, we would need, because we, I think, as a country, uh, you know, uh, as a municipality, uh, you know, for for a city, they're going to want to see, you know, for the residents of your block, they're going to want to see good examples of this, and that it might first need a developer willing and able to do that. And there are historic examples of this kind of, you know, buying out the interior of the the the, the block and building on it in places like D.C. or uh, Philadelphia. Brooklyn and and other places in in, in the United States. I think another possible route and one that I think has even more value attached to it would be some kind of collaboration in which there were some kind of shared vision between the city and the residents of a block. And so that as new ADU laws get published, which is really the impetus for this study, right? Municipalities are already passing ADU legislation. If they were to pass hand in hand with that ADU legislation, some kind of inner block form-based code that could help shape the way that ADUs are built and the way the other lots meet the, meet the alley, meet that inner block. And so, you know, what would a homeowner do? I think starting that conversation with the other residents of the block and the city in general, so that as ADU legislation gets passed, it's not just it's not just AD the, the the regulation is not just on ADUs and the way that they face you know uh, front the main street or or meet the main street or meet the the principal dwelling, but also the way that they front that alley and even regulating the way that that alley is met, delineated, and formed uh, is going to be a necessary step forward. And I think that that form-based code could and should be very simple. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Thomas Stardy, for for sharing your insights um, and for sharing this fantastic series with the Strong Towns audience on our website. Um, again, I'll include links to all those articles so people can get really into it and and see all the history and ideas that you are putting forward. Um, So thank you for being on the show, Thomas. 
Thank you, Rachel. All right, y'all. Before we go, I wanted to let you know about a new video series we have just started releasing. It's called 30 Days of Confessions, and it is part of our new book by Chuck Marone that's coming out in a few weeks called Confessions of a Recovering Engineer. So if you want to access this awesome video series where Chuck is sharing everything from the secret that actually engineers are the ones who manufacture congestion, despite the fact that they are always claiming that they have solutions to make it better and telling us that it's a huge problem, to why transit is really valuable and actually one of the greatest wealth producers that our cities can have, to this really frustrating design that engineers use called forgiving design, which actually only helps people in cars and is very harmful and dangerous to people outside of a vehicle, and a whole bunch of other confessions, revelations, and really important educational moments about the engineering profession and transportation more broadly. So if you want to get access to those videos, we are just releasing them exclusively for people who pre-order this Confessions of a Recovering Engineer book. Head to confessions.engineer to grab your copy today, and you'll get immediately plugged into that email subscription where you can access those 30 days of confessions short videos. Highly recommend them. And I'll also add, like, if you're someone who supports the Strong Towns movement, which I hope, I think a lot of you are, um, the pre-orders are not just important because, like, we want to sell books. The more and more pre-orders that we have, the more we will be on the radar of bestseller lists. And thus, the more this book and this message about transportation for a strong town will get in front of more people. So... We want folks to be able to access this book, to be able to learn from it about what's really messed up in the engineering profession, and most importantly, how we can change that and make our communities all more economically resilient. So um, confessions.engineer is where you can pre-order that book and get access to that video series. As always, feel free to email me or send me a voicemail at uh, rachel at strongtowns.org. And finally, thank you to our members who support this movement, who make this podcast possible, who make everything that we do possible. Um, you guys are the movement in action. You are the bottom-up revolution. So thank you, members. And if you're interested in joining as a member, head to strongtowns.org membership. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you back here next time. Thank you.